You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Talk Back, the dramatist skills conversation about the theater world we see and the one we want to see. I'm your host, Christine Toy Johnson. This season, we're connecting online from home as the world battles the COVID pandemic. Most theaters in the United States are currently closed. Our industry is hurting. But we're also exploring new ways to bring theater to audiences. We want to create a better and fairer industry than the one that had it closed down due to the pandemic. And we can start with frank conversations about what has been working and what hasn't. Today we're looking at whether or not an MFA is worth the price of admission. They're a very popular starting point in today's industry, but they're not the only path to a career, and they're definitely not for everyone. I'm joined today by KJ Sanchez and Vichet Chum, who will introduce themselves. Thanks, Christine. I'm KJ Sanchez. I bill myself as a writer, director, actor, and a producer. I'm the founder and CEO of American Records, a theater company that's dedicated to making work that chronicles our time, work that serves as a bridge between people. And I also am an associate professor at the University of Texas in Austin, and I run the directing program, and I'm the administrative head of both the uh, MFA playwriting and directing programs. And I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Vichet. I'm Vichet Chum. I'm a playwright and an actor. I went to the Brown Trinity Repertory MFA program, and uh, yeah, I'm just thrilled to be here with you all. So, Vichet, you just said that you went to the Brown program, but can you tell us what your MFA was in at Brown? I got my MFA in acting. Um, something that is unique about the Brown Trinity program is that you also, while you're pursuing your acting degree, you're also taking directing and playwriting as well because they really want you to get a a well-rounded sense of what the other disciplines are doing. And so I I really leaned into those parts of my education, and that has sort of led me into this playwriting career. It's an interesting moment to reflect on that time in my life, because I'm actually going to be on faculty next semester, which is kind of hilarious, because I never would have pinned myself to be somebody who would step into that role. Um, trying to figure out what kind of space I want to create for students. And uh, I'm just so curious what KJ has to say about all of that, <laughs> because it's a, it's a really interesting moment. We're at the intersection of a pandemic and a racial crisis. And like, how do you educate students 
at this moment. Before we get to KJ, I just want to uh, follow up on something you said, Vichet, that you you came to playwriting from learning that during your MFA in acting. What are you teaching uh, when you are in, on faculty there coming up? Oh, yes. Uh, I'll be teaching playwriting, which I did not get my MFA in. Yeah, so um, really not full circle, but full circle. <laughs> yeah, like full circle adjacent. Yes, you know? <laughs> it's awesome. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really strange because... You know, Christine, you and I have talked about this a lot, about how we don't have MFAs in writing. Right. And the sort of imposter syndrome we have yes, as writers yes, to a certain yes. degree. I have it as an actor, but, too, and I've been working my whole adult life as an actor. So, you know, go figure. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I mean, there's, there's much to say about that. You know what right, I mean? Right. There's much to say about, like, you know, the, the education on the streets versus, you know, the yeah. education in these sort of formal classrooms and at these institutions. When I was approached to um, teach this playwriting class, there was that part of me that sort of went, what do I know about anything? But I also know that because the pedagogy at Brown was such that led me to playwriting, there's something in that, you mm -hmm. know, and I feel like I've written enough plays, I've, I've seen enough theater, I've been around brilliant collaborators. Why not? Why not teach playwriting? So yeah, it'll be an interesting challenge for me. That's great. KJ. Yeah, I came to writing and directing later. I started as an actor and I got my MFA in acting at UC San Diego. And you know, Vichet, I hear you about the struggles um, being in graduate school. I think graduate school is hard and I don't think you're really in it unless you're really unhappy. And you know, when I have, <laughs> I, I, I always have students who are coming into my office frustrated with themselves, frustrated with the notes that they're getting from their faculty, frustrated with the way the administration is relating to them and frustrated with where they fit in the whole thing. I think graduate school is always a really difficult time in one's life. And if you're not angry at the school and your faculty, then maybe you're not quite deep into graduate school. Um, and so anyway, I got out in 92 with an MFA in acting and um, I had because I, uh, because I broke my nose and learned viewpoints training uh, in my third year of graduate school, I had the good fortune to audition for Ann Bogart in a production of The Women at San Diego Rep. And then she started the City Company. So I was an actor with the City Company for the first few years of the company's life. And then I realized I was a really bossy actor and meant to be a director. Um, I was in the <laughs> I was in the originating uh, the original production of Chuck Me's Big Love, which started at Humana Festival and then went to BAM and Berkeley Rep and Long Wharf and and through the course of that, Les Waters was the director. And through the course of those two years together, I came out of the closet as a director. And so once <laughs> I started directing, that led me yeah that led me naturally to uh, being a playwright. You know, one because my years with Anne and the City Company creating devised pieces, you you think like an, a writer. Um, and I started to have things, experiences in my personal life where I felt the need to throw myself into research and to build work as a way of managing um, trauma and pain and confusing times in my life. So I was a professional theater maker for about 25 years and on and off, I was a guest artist at a lot of MFA programs in acting, in directing, and in writing um, at various colleges and universities. And then four years ago, I came to be a guest respondent at a New Works Festival here at UT. 
And I fell in love with this place. I sort of looked around and said, what is this magical land where the faculty are collegial and like each other and respect each other, even though there's so many different methodologies and systems happening? Um, the students were so dynamic and there was an opening for a faculty member. And Stephen Dietz said to me, um, are you interested in applying? And I said, hell yeah. And, uh, you know, in a blink of an eye, Richard, my husband and I moved to Austin and I started running the directing program and I teach playwriting classes as well. And, um, you know, back to that thing about who has the right to teach writing. And I think we all have this bias, this need for um, proving that we are masters of something. We all feel that way. Um, and even Stephen Dietz, you know, who's one of the most produced playwrights living today. Um, he doesn't have an MFA at all. His mastery was experiential. And I sat in on his classes and he teaches amazing writing classes. So I think it might not be about the, the paper that you earn, but rather where you come from and what have you learned about your own craft and your, your skill sets and your identity as an artist. I want to talk to both of you about the impact of student loans and juxtaposed against the expectations of what the degree might get for a person. Uh, KJ, are you having conversations about expectations with your students now? Yeah, we bring all of our finalists to UT to spend a few days on campus. They stay with current MFA graduate students and we encourage them to ask all of the candid and hard questions. And then we talk to them about finances. And it's something that keeps me up at night because I think it's unconscionable to, um, to encourage any artist to leave graduate school with huge debt. So we try to mitigate it. I try to mitigate those things um, as much as um, I and we can. At UT, we, of course, have the Michener Center for Writers. And so playwrights can apply for fellowships and to study with the Michener program. And that is very well-funded fellowship. And so um, mm. writers get paid to get their MFA in playwriting. And they also get a secondary in either fiction or screenwriting, writing for television. And then those who don't go through the Michener, we usually take two playwrights through theater and dance and through two through Michener. Yet they all have the same faculty. We work with them as a, a cohort um, and we don't see any difference between the two groups of writers. Um, but the theater and dance playwrights, uh, they, we get tuition remission and they're funded. And then we also look for teaching jobs for them while they're here. I've made my living as an artist. And for me, it's been about diversifying. And so that's one of the things that we work on mm -hmm. here is giving our writers as many skill sets as they can. Recent graduates are now running Meow Wolf in Santa Fe and they're opening up Meow Wolf's in Hawaii and I think there's one in Vegas. Um, they're writing for video game programs, they're writing for television. So um, so we're doing as much as we can, but it definitely keeps me up at night, no doubt. Mm. Vichet, do you have uh, comments, thoughts, questions? Yeah. KJ, you speak about, you know, making artists agile so that they can sort of meet the challenge of like, 
being able to pay their bills and also honor the, their craft and what they do. And, you know, I, I just hope that more MFA programs are thinking in that way. Um, because, yeah, this is the stuff that haunts me, you know, the idea that, like, we financially value MFA educations at, like, over $100,000 plus. Mm. Um, and, you know, there are socioeconomic implications there. You know, it's those who can afford it get the, the quote-unquote best education. And I find that to be somewhat problematic and, and a little scary because, you know, as as any artist who steps away from, you know, an MFA program and goes into the, the career of doing art, um, it looks different than the bubble of the, of, of being in an MFA program. Um, it looks so different. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I remember my first year out of graduate school, I was, um, working at a hotel, um, from 11 PM to 7 AM. Wow. And then I would go on auditions in the morning or afternoon as, as I could get them. I would babysit some, some kids um, in the afternoon, and then I would go back to my shift, you know? And it was, it was a pretty arduous uh, experience and, and obviously not sustainable. Um, and to be fully transparent, I got a full tuition to go to Brown. I still had student loans from undergrad and then also just trying to, you know, pay rent and to pay off my loans and to make sure I had food and, and whatnot. Um, and I think that is the piece that um, I, I, I feel really conflicted about because I think that I've seen my peers and my contemporaries just either step away from the arts because they just can't afford to do it. And I just, I, I, I just, I wonder about that. You know, I just wonder about what we're telling young-ish people as they, as they move through their MFA education and then into the real world. And like, how much are we talking about professional development? How are we talking about the realities of stepping outside of that space, the MFA space? Um, those are all questions I have and, and being a new teacher, um, at an institution that is my alma mater, you know, I want to be really careful about, um, you know, what I relate to them about what it's actually like out there. You're so right, Vichet. Um, I too, like you had a scholarship to go to, uh, to get my MFA, but, um, I also took out loans to help cover housing costs. And so, um, and then, of course, like $100,000 is uh, breathtaking. And if people are leaving grad school with that kind of debt and, um, you know, housing costs for graduate students, Austin's really expensive to live in. And it's expensive even if you're just eating rice and beans every day. Um, and then you get out. And like you said, those first few years are a struggle. So you have rising costs of living and you have the cost of producing your own work, which is such a good way for young writers and directors, and actors to get out there. And then coupled with, if you leave graduate school with conflicted feelings, feelings about um, uh, racial biases, sy uh, systematic right. racism, if, if your faculty didn't serve you, and I know, you know, we are human beings as faculty and I've made mistakes and, um, uh, I think when I lean into my fears about I really need to make sure that these MFA candidates 
have all the skill sets they can. Like I try so hard to build as much armor for them as possible. And I push really hard and I demand a lot. And I know that that's not great for everybody. And that's real and valid. Um, so there's a lot to weigh. Um, and when you consider that only those who who um, are comfortable with the gr gross interrogation that's required in graduate school and comfortable financially, if those are the only people who can and are not um, uh, do not fall in the net of systemic racism and being the victim of systemic racism, then that means the pool that we're accepting is so narrow. Um, and that's something that we all have to mm. change just as an entire uh, industry. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. How would you say that your experiences as two people of color it going through MFA programs has influenced the way you address these issues? Like you just mentioned, KJ, of uh, systemic racism and dismantling it and going forward into hopefully creating the kinds of spaces where people can fully flourish and get all the benefits from not only the program, but from you as a, as an inspirational teacher. I find it challenging because in this moment, you know, I'm trying to hold two truths in my hand, which is I had a great time in grad school and I learned a lot. And also like the, the spaces that need to be scrutinized and mm. being a BIPOC artist in a, at a white institution, yeah, there are moments when I felt really underserved. And um, it's so funny because, you know, a couple of years ago, they asked me to come back and to speak with the students. And a young woman said to me, point blank, as a person of color, did you feel supported at the school? And I said very succinctly, no. Mm. Um, and I, I went into more detail about how, you know, I, I never had a, a, an AAPI identifying faculty member mm -hmm. um, in my entire, you know, seven years of arts education. And you think about how that is obviously disproportionate to my white colleagues if you have a professor or someone in that space who shares some sort of identity with you, there's more um, at stake for both parties involved. I didn't have that sort of guidance. And um, 
I wasn't exposed to as much literature by AAPI writers. The only access I had to that was when we did the new play festival. Um, and we luckily had uh, Mia Chung, who was one of our uh, one of our MFA playwrights, and she um, was a student while I was there. Um, and so I, I found it really challenging. I felt like I was sort of um, in a silo. Um, but that also sort of lit a fire under my ass to sort of create those opportunities for myself. Um, and that has been obviously the trajectory of my career. Right. I think most BIPOC artists would say the same, would have a similar version of that story of like, I felt alone. And so I had to create these opportunities right, for right. myself. You don't see yourself in the stories that are, are being produced. So you create them so that you can Absolutely. I mean, that is the ethos of my writing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That's, uh, I know you and I have talked about this a lot too. It's like we create jobs for our, for our friends, right. <laughs> you know, cause, because it's, um, cause I know what it's like to, to be an Asian actor in New York city. And I think there was one day where I had four TV commercial auditions and it was a uh, Mongolian sheep herder, <laughs> Uh, Chinese delivery man, um, valet, um, and then another delivery guy. And I was like, this is, and everyone has that story, yes, but it's yeah. like, this is what they perceive of me, right. you know? And like, we are so much more than that. Right. And so, I mean, that's something that I'm really trying to think about in terms of being the, the, the caretaker of a space mm. in which I can encourage younger people to have that impulse that that things are awful and to translate that into something that perhaps is an opportunity for them mm, right beautiful and those KJ. instincts i mean the the two of you have done such a great job writing characters and building work for all of your pals um and there are so many writers right now that I want to celebrate that are doing that like Christopher Diaz when he wrote Chad Deity and then it was done at every regional theater and he gave so many BIPOC actors jobs. Um, it's it's a double-edged sword though, isn't it? Because we start off writing worlds of stories and people that we feel aren't on those stages. And then um, our uh, community, our culture, our critics turn to us and say like, well, that's what you should be writing, right? So. Uh, I would guess, Bichette, mm. you wouldn't want to only write stories about the Cambodian experience, the Cambodian-American experience. And yet there's this double-edged sword where we're trying to make room for our stories and our people. And yet we're also trying to keep that table big enough so that we can cook a lot of different meals. I just totally flipped my metaphors there. Uh, does no, that I, love that. I love that. I love that metaphor. I think it's great. <laughs> no, I think that's so... I think that tension is so right, KJ. You know, it's like, for me, I do have a mission to write as many Cambodian characters as possible. Uh, that is something that's sort of like at the center of what I'm doing. But also then, like, in the reality of Vichet Chum in living in the United States of America and living in these spaces where I have friends who are not Asian American, you know, it's like, trying to then um, sort of find the opportunities to, to sort of create a really um, expansive space in which, you know, it's not just Cambodian, it's also like the questions that I deal with as a human being, as a Cambodian American, like, like how does the community 
Cambodian community deal with, you know, these questions of like racial justice and, and anti-blackness and, um, and like that is something I'm trying to fold more into my stories because for me, it's like, I don't live in just a silo of, of Cambodian-ness, you know, I live in a society with many different kinds of people and I want to, I want to lean into those questions of how our communities intersect with one another, how they collide with one another, how they, how people sit at the intersections of those communities as well. Absolutely. KJ, can I ask you if you, KJ, are you having these kinds of conversations with your students now? Oh, uh, absolutely. Having the conversations with our students and having the conversations uh, more particularly with our, with the university's leadership. Um, Tackling systemic racism within the academy is a major, major job. We have, we've done so little in the last quarter of a decade. We've done so little in the last decade, really. It's a big, big mountain to climb. Um, you know, <clears throat> UT is set in Texas, and there are Tejanos, there are Mexicanos, there are Mexican Americans, BIPOC people of of. Um, all sorts, indigenous peoples, um, African-Americans, black writer artists. Um, and yet our, our, the place that we were producing, um, when I first got here, and I'm not saying when I first got here, as if I changed everything, <laughs> that's not it at all. I think that the, <laughs> the culture has been changing as I've witnessed it, but, um, we were, we were producing, um, fewer people of color on our quote unquote main stage productions. Um, the cohort of writers was less diverse than we would want it to be. And also the um, the canon that we all refer to, you know, all of the books on writing and all of the plays that we study that come right from Aristotelian story structure, it's all centered in white experience. Um, so it's so rude. We were so rooted in Eurocentric um, methods and styles and traditions so we're trying to tackle that. And then, of course, the big thing, which is access. One, can you afford to come to school? Um, we Two years ago, we had the opportunity, uh, Stephen Dietz uh, uh, switched to teaching less and writing more. And we had an opportunity to do a couple of other hires for our faculty. Right. What was really great is when we were talking to, um, when Kirk Lynn, my colleague who runs the playwriting program, you know, was talking to the leadership of UT, and they wanted these writers with these accolades and critical acclaim. And, um, and Kirk was great at making it clear, like, if it's not just about getting great writers who will bring a whole new set of diversity in terms of form, philosophy, race, culture, um, content to our program. If you want this and if you're serious about this, you have to bump up the fellowships that playwrights are getting. And so that was like one of these great storms, one of these pivotal moments where leadership stepped in and did that. Um, so it's access and it's, and then the big step is making sure that everybody feels welcome, you know, right. and, and the, the little things that were, that, that I see my colleagues paying attention to, um, even down to security, you know, there are security guards that go through our building and we note who they stop and ask, should you be in the building? You know, because everybody's leaving rehearsals at mm. 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. You know, some people are staying in to work even later than that. And we're noticing who gets stopped and is asked, should you belong here? 
it's like the smallest mm. gestures to the largest gestures. We need to do what we can to make sure everyone feels welcome because you can't be the best writer you are unless unless you feel welcomed to the party, right? Yes. Yes, of course. Right. Right. I think it's great. I'm also not an administrator, so I don't know how all of those details work out. Right. But I think it's it can only expand the applicant pool and it can only sort of give um uh, prospective students you know the the that sort of welcome that kj is talking about like we want we don't want to to burden you with this you know this mark of x amount of dollars we believe in your artistry your budding artistry and we want to cultivate that and i think that there are so many variables that keep um that sort of um, yeah, identify students um, in different ways, you know, whether it's race or, or gender or, or sexuality or whatnot, um, to be able to say to students, like, we're going to start your education fully subsidized so that you can, to a certain degree, something that we can control, which is from a level playing field of just being able to, like, be here, um, and yes, there are other variables at play, of course, but just like the idea of an institution saying that to a group of young people saying, you know, we're going to pay you to be here, mm. I think is really powerful. And, um, I hope that that's something we're moving towards. Yeah. Um, I but think again, I don't know anything about the administrative stuff. Yeah. So KJ can speak to that. I think that, um, yeah, so, so, so what I've read of Brown, uh, tuition is covered. What was what, what was called a free ride? I'm not sure how I feel about that phrase, free ride. But um, right. tuition's covered at Brown, at Yale, I believe, at UCSD. I think UCSD has a really robust funding package for MFA writers. Um, UT covers tuition, as far as I can tell. You know, with loans taken out for cost of living, our recent graduates are leaving with a approximately 20,000 in debt. Um, those that are leaving with 100,000, like that's huge. And I remember um, I was talking to a prospective applicant a couple of years ago who wanted some advice about which programs she should be applying to and how much it'll end up costing her. Um, and she was thinking about some of the programs where you will leave with over $100,000 in debt. And I said to her, I said like, well, instead of spending that money getting your degree, if you took $100,000 and used that to produce your own work, that is a totally yeah. viable avenue. And then she said something well, that made yeah. me realize just like what a jerk and how short-sighted I am. Um, because she said, well, here's the thing. When, you're, when you are accepted into a MFA program into a university, you can apply for loans. If I'm an individual who just wants to produce my plays out in the world, I can't find a loan to give me $100,000 to produce my plays. So again, mm. when you if you're if you're dealing if you're thinking about the choice, should I spend the money in just getting my work out into the world or should I spend my money on graduate school? It's still a a, a game for trust fund recipients. Hmm. Mm. As as we're wrapping up, I wanted to ask you 
uh, both. If you have any advice you want to give to any theater artists who are who are considering making this financial and emotional investment in an MFA, Vitet. I would say, you know, watch closely uh, how the programs that you're interested in are dealing with this specific moment. You know, how are they handling teaching during a pandemic? Mm. You know, how are they working to create more inclusive spaces mm -hmm. and commit to anti-racist practices? I think that's a big question right now with all the MFA programs. Mm. Um, and then also in terms of the access question, definitely prioritize programs that will pay you to go there. <laughs> and then also like know your financial situation. And then also just know what you want from the experience of going to grad school. I think that if you believe solely that it'll be a direct pipeline to success and to fame, I think you'll end up being disappointed ultimately. Um, I think that that's not what an MFA is actually about. That's, that's great such advice. great advice. Wow. To add to that, I would say that I think graduate school isn't for everybody, and there's power in that. Um, you know, one of my f favorite directors, and I think one of the finest directors working today, Pam McKinnon, didn't go to an MFA program, but instead, you know, she came to New York and she started working with clubbed thumb and doing lots of readings and just reaching out and contacting writers and starting collaborations and 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 her work is extraordinary um so graduate school is there it's a, there's also a right time for it and i think applicants should know that they're actually the ones with the power and i think uh, i would advise to approach graduate schools as you all would um getting into a very long-term and intimate relationship with somebody it's like a marriage, you know, and you you get a chance to choose who you're going to be married to. I would advise approaching it as, are we the right fit together? Because so much of it is about chemistry. It's also about, are you ready to interrogate your work? Uh, there are times in my career where I wasn't ready to analyze what I'm doing. I needed to do and not hear a lot of feedback about what I was doing. And then there are other times when you really need to examine your craft goals. And I think that's what graduate school does. Three things I think graduate school does best is really helps you interrogate uh, who you are and what you want to say. I mean, anyone who sat in on a casting call from the from the other side of the table, if you're if, you know if you're not the person auditioning, but you're watching the audition, you see that casting isn't necessarily about the best audition. It's about a director and an actor figuring out our, what's our chemistry, are, are we gonna work well together and are we gonna make something that's bigger than the sum of all our parts? I can testify that anyone who gets to work with either one of you is really, really fortunate. And I um, I think that your students are, are also just the luckiest people. My thanks to today's guests, Vichet Chum and KJ Sanchez. If you're considering an MFA, please do check out Brown and UT Austin. Next week, we'll be discussing meaningful inclusion of people with disabilities in the theater. My guests will be Greg Mosgala and Katie Sullivan. Talk Back is a production of the Dramatist Guild of America. It was produced by Sarah Storm, Amy Von Masick, and myself. Our music was composed by Andrea Daly, 
Robert Prine mixed our show. Special thanks to Tina Fallon, Terry Stratton, and the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee at the Dramatist Guild. I'm your host, Christine Toy Johnson. Please support your favorite theater however you can. We'll be back next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.